Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And we're in the middle of our summer series called Transformed, Learning to Think Biblically. And uh, the topic for this morning is parenting. Parenting. This is an incredibly important topic, and I must confess to you that I've felt the weight of this uh, all week long as I've had an opportunity to reflect upon God's Word, as I've had an opportunity to reflect upon my own life, my own parenting. As I look at my children, uh, my kids are, are still relatively young. I have an eight-year-old, I have a six-year-old, and I have a 14-month-old. But I can tell you this, I, I see even now, in this age of my kids, the days go by so quickly. The time, you know, and it doesn't help that I, I did a wedding uh, on the weekend for my, my younger brother, just reminding me how quickly our time goes with our children, how precious the time is that we have with our children, and, and that, that, that small space of time, especially in the younger ages, where we have such a privileged opportunity to make such a massive, massive impact on their little hearts and their little lives. And I think this is increasing in my mind. The weight of this is increasing because I have been reflecting this week on how our culture functions and desires to shape the minds of our children. Do you realize that? That the culture we live in and the world we live in has an aim to shape the way our children think, act, and live. And by the way, if you're already kind of tuning out because we're going to be dealing with parenting and you're saying, well, I'm out of this stage of parenting or I don't have kids, this doesn't really apply to me, I want to encourage you, stick with me. You're going to see that all that we speak of this morning pertains specifically to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, not, not simply because you're a parent, but because of the relationship that we have with God as our Father and we as His children. The secular culture we live in understands the need, listen, to saturate our children with its message. We live in uh, an unprecedented era of information where the mediums of communication are ever increasing and are ever present. What is the message that our kids are repeatedly, and the message that we are repeatedly being bombarded with? What are we hearing constantly as we walk out into the world, as we look at billboards, as we check the news, as we hear radio advertisements, as we interact with people all the time? The message is really the same as it's always been. Every generation faces the same message. It's just dressed up a little bit differently in every age. But the underlying message we hear is me. And our kids are constantly hearing this message in the world that we live in. I deserve, I want, I will be happy if, I can't live without. If you have young kids, believe me, you have heard these phrases often. I need more Lego to survive. Finishes building and instantly wants a new one. The message determines how we and our children think about life, themselves, others, and God. Your kids, just like you, are being influenced by someone. Whether you like it or not and whether you realize it or not, we are always being influenced. And our kids are always being influenced. Parenting has always presented unique challenges. 
One of the greatest questions we can ask in our parenting is this. How are our kids being influenced? But more specifically, listen, as, as a parent or as somebody who has influence in the lives of others, listen, how are our kids being influenced by you? What is the strongest influence our kids are experiencing? Who is the one who is the primary influencer? Who is the one who is shaping how they filter and understand all of the other influencing factors in their life? And the biblical answer to that is primarily the parents. And as I said, I just I feel the weight of this, and I, I need to confess to you that I feel in many ways woefully inadequate in so many ways in my own parenting, and, and I, I see in my own parenting the gap between where I, I want to be, where I know God is calling me to be, and where I actually am, and I'm praying that God even just, even through this, this message in the weeks ahead, gives me the grace to start to close the gap in some of these areas. I just, I just, I don't know about you, but with this, the, the fleeting moments that we have with the, our children, I, I am just so convicted about the preciousness of the time and desiring to make the most of the time. God's word gives us clear instruction when it comes to raising our children. In fact, I want to just read for you one verse, Ephesians 6, verse 4. It says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I understand that like marriage, parenting is a potentially painful or seemingly irrelevant topic for some of you in here. I understand that some of you did not come from good homes, some of you were neglected, some of you may have been abused physically, sexually, emotionally, psychologically. I understand that. I understand that some of you wish you had better relationships with your parents. I understand that in this room right now, there are people who are struggling with infertility. They cannot conceive for whatever reason. God has not allowed them to have children, and it is the desire of their heart to have children. Some of us who have children take that for granted. I understand that some of you in this room are single and wish one day, pray one day to have children. I understand that some of you in this room are struggling as parents and you find parenting extremely hard, you feel like you daily are pulling your hair out. <laughs> I understand and I'm thankful that some of you are doing very well in your parenting and, and I, can, I can look to many of you in this church and say that you're modeling such incredible parenting and I, I'm really grateful for that. And many of you I look up to and I, I've learned from and I'm so grateful for how God is, is giving you just wisdom and direction in how you parent. Some of you are grandparents and Though you're not the primary influencer, you have great influence in the lives of your grandkids. Some of you are in this church and your kids aren't and you're a little bit maybe older or you're past that stage of parenting. And I just want to say to you, this matters for you, understanding biblical parenting, because uh, me, myself, and all these other parents in this room, by the way, uh, this is a particularly relevant topic for our church if you haven't been down to the children's ministry. Um, But we need you. We we need you as, as those who have gone before us, those who have parented kids at different stages in life, we need you. We need you to help us. We need you to encourage us. We need you to teach us in many ways. We need you to to help us understand what you did well. We need you to admit to us and to help us see what you did wrong or didn't do as well as you should have. We need to hear these things from you. Some of you have grown kids, and, and I just want to just acknowledge this. Some of you have made great mistakes with your kids. 
And for you, it's quite painful as you look back at wasted years. And I just want to encourage you that, that this message is not intended to beat anybody up. In fact, I want to encourage you right out the gates that if, if you're suffering in any way, if this is hard for you to think about children or parenting, maybe the job you've done or, or the desire for children, I just want you to know that God is gracious. God is forgiving. God is so merciful where we have failed. That's the point of the cross of Jesus Christ. And you don't need to live in the past sins. And God gives grace to move forward and to not find your identity or to live in the shame of what you did or didn't do. And God, if you don't have kids and desire kids, listen, God gives you grace and will sustain you. Ephesians 6 verse 4 tells us, broadly speaking, exactly what we need to know if our desire is to lead our children in the ways of Jesus Christ, then notice the words there, to build them up. That is the purpose of raising kids, to build them up, to raise them up, to grow them up. And there's a dual imperative laid out in this passage for us that I want to simply separate for us, and I want to look at each aspect as a positive and a negative. Notice that. To bring them up in the discipline, that's the negative side, that's the correction piece of parenting, and the instruction, that's the positive side. And if, if this twin directive is our top priority, what I believe God is telling us is that we will set our children up to flourish in life and spiritually by His grace. And so I want to begin this morning with the instruction piece. It's always nice to start off on a good note, right? Let's talk about the instruction piece, and I want to end with the discipline, and I want to look at these two principles for parenting. And here's, here's where I want to encourage you. Your primary goal first is this. Your primary goal is discipleship. Your primary goal, if God has given to you these little lives, these precious children, your primary goal is discipleship. And, and, and instruction, sometimes we get in our minds that instruction is something simply that happens in a formal classroom setting where we sit down and we just teach a bunch of things and then send our kids on our way. But I want you to see that the, the biblical concept of instruction involves this holistic picture of life. It is a picture of discipleship. Now, it's interesting when we look at Ephesians 6, 4, notice that it begins with one word there in particular, fathers. You might get the impression, if you were just to look at this verse, that somehow parenting is only the responsibility of fathers, which would go probably directly against what's happening in most of your homes. But that's not the case. Fathers certainly is important, but you'll notice even the verses right above this tell us that parenting is both husband and wife's job. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Notice that, really important. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Certainly, the Bible wants to make clear that both parents are being utilized by God in the discipling of their kids. But I want you to see this very specifically, I believe. Fathers are, are kind of dialed in on in a very intentional way. And, and here's why. As we saw in the, the, the picture of marriage, God has ordained an order in the, the marriage and an order in the family life. And men bear the great, greatest weight of responsibility in leading their families, both their wives and their children. And so men, I, I want to speak to you first very clearly about our responsibility responsibility. While your day-to-day -day commitments, listen may, listen, may mean that your wife does more of the nurture and admonition of your children by virtue of your role as a leader in your home, 
You bear this magnificent, weighty responsibility of making decisions about how you and your wife will both disciple your children and discipline your children. Men, you need to affirm and to actively reinforce all that your wife does in carrying out those decisions, especially if she's at home with the children uh, while you may be off at work. And men, I, I just want to exhort you this morning that you cannot be passive in the parenting process. This is not something that God simply allows you to delegate to your wife, and you can be hands-off in the parenting of your children. Uh, this week, I, I've got, I mean, again, the Lord just gives me so much ammunition with my kids. Just so you know, when every time I, I use my kids, I run it by them first. I'm getting uh, to the point where they're, they're getting old enough. They know that I, I use them in illustrations now. And, um, and I, I want to say good things about my kids. I want to honor my children. And I actually um, told them that anytime I get to use them in an illustration, I get to give them $1. So every week they're like, are you using me in an illustration this week, Dad? <laughs> I don't have to stop this. I'm going to get broke in a hurry. But it's just so sweet how, how just the real-life situations are just, I mean, it makes the Bible so rich and so real, and I experience this all the time, especially as I'm preparing to preach. My son, Joshua, he's six years old. I, I heard him uh, with, with my wife, Sarah, and he's asking Sarah, my wife is saying, Mom, can I, can I have a granola bar? And, and Sarah's like, no, Josh, we're eating dinner in 20 minutes. You cannot have a granola bar. Okay, I, I'm hearing this from upstairs. I hear the pitter-patter up the stairs as he comes into the room. Hey, Dad, uh, can I have a granola bar? Uh, Joshua, uh, what, did your, what did your mom tell you? Oh, oh yeah, she said no. Right, I said, Joshua, why, why would you come and ask me when your mom already said no? Here's what he said, well, Dad, you're the decision maker in the home. <laughs> listen, listen, to which I said, yes, ultimately, ultimately, I make the decisions, but not apart from your mother, right? And, and I bear the great responsibility of that, but it was a sweet opportunity to sit my son down and say, look, son, I'm glad you're realizing that there is order and structure in our home, and you're seeing my role, but I want you to know something. And I had an opportunity to sit down with my son and say, do you believe for a second that I am ever going to go against your mother? <laughs> like, do you know what would happen to me? And, and I, I just want to reinforce, this is really important because the, the picture that we saw in marriage was a picture of oneness, right? That God calls uh, us in marriage to be one. And I want to encourage you as parents that the oneness you should experience definitely should flow into your parenting. There should be one understanding and view of how you are parenting your children. You should be unified. And this was driven into me because very recently I had the opportunity to be exposed to a family where there was no not oneness in the parenting, where one parent would say one thing and right in front of the kids, the other parent would disagree and undercut the other parent. Just disunified in their parenting. And I can just tell you this, it, it, it was producing incredible friction and tension and frustration in the marriage relationship. Listen, and immense confusion in the children. And believe me, our kids know, right? They know the principle of divide and conquer, right? They will try it every time. And I just want to encourage you. I, I looked at my, my son. I said, son, you need to understand something. Me and your mother are a team. What your mom says, I will reinforce. What I say, she will reinforce. Now, I understand that sometimes as parents, we don't always agree, right? 
But one of the worst things we can do as parents is sit and fight and disagree about what should be done with our kids when they're sitting right there. We're going to have disagreements. But, that, but just listen, if you're going to have those, and, and you need to have those, have those behind closed doors. Go work things out. Don't undercut each other's parenting right in front of the kids. You're teaching your kids some very important things by how you parent them. You will show your kids. One of the greatest gifts you can show your kids is that your marriage is of the utmost in parents, uh, uh, excuse me, um, importance to your kids. That nothing comes between me and mom. I'm thankful for that example in my life, for my parents. I'm so grateful for how they taught us that they were unified, that they were one, that they were a team. Be a unified front, mom and dad, and that may mean that you might have to communicate often, regularly about how you're going to do things, have those conversations, and when you mess up, you're going to have to wrestle through that too. But I want to encourage you, you must be unified on this, that your primary goal in parenting is the discipleship of your children. And discipleship, if we're going to kind of get down to the, the nitty-gritty of what discipleship means in the home, discipleship requires pointing your children towards the Lord Jesus Christ, helping them grow in maturity and in the understanding of the ways of the Lord, of the things of the Lord God Almighty. I want you to notice what the text says. Fathers, uh, it says at the very end there, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction, listen to these three words, of the Lord. That is the qualifying statement about both your discipleship and the discipline process. It is to be of the Lord. Your primary goal is not to make your kids' lives better than yours were. That's a noble idea, and that's a great thing in one sense to strive for, but it's not the ultimate goal. Your primary goal is not to have the most well-behaved kids. That is not the primary purpose of your parenting. That's a good benefit, right? Your primary goal in your parenting and in your discipleship of your kids is not to live vicariously through them, right? Not to make them try and accomplish all the things that you did not in your life. It is not to make them rich and famous, the next famous athlete or whatever it is. It's not to make them, uh, push them into a profession of your desire and design. Certainly, if you look at our culture, listen, it's not to be their best friend. Now, I understand, too, that I'm, I'm starting, and I hope you kind of get the sense, I'm starting at the younger levels, and I understand that as children age, the way we interact and relate to our children changes. I'm thankful that as we've grown up, um, the relationship with my parents has turned more into friendship, deep friendship, and I'm grateful for that. But at a young age, the goal of parenting is not to be best friends with your kid. It's to shape them and mold them and point them in the way of the Lord. I just want you to see that this idea of being of the Lord in these aspects means that your home and your discipleship must be Christ-centered. And let me contrast that with the way so many homes function, not Christ-centered, but child-centered. We live in a, in a day and age where children take precedence over everything and anything, and so many homes are child-centered. And here's some signs that you might be living in a child-centered home. Uh, your children run things. That's a pretty dead giveaway. They actually make all the decisions. They tell you when they want to eat and what they want to eat. They make the major decisions about where they're going and what they're wearing. I mean, you can just apply this across the board. 
Here's another way, maybe, maybe you're living in a more child-centered home. Um, your schedule revolves around the children. Everything you do revolves around the children's schedule. I, I talked with a couple uh, about a week ago who told me that they have not had any meaningful relationships with any other couples because their child's nap schedule won't allow them to. Three years, no meaningful deep relationships because every day at six o'clock they have to be at their house with their kid in their own bed. Now, let me just qualify. I am all for schedule. I'm all for order and structure. Sarah and I were, you know, we were really, you know, we worked hard at getting that schedule. But I can just tell you this you cannot be run by your child's schedule. You can't live your life like that. You will forfeit and sacrifice so much more of what you need to be a more effective parent if you do that. Don't teach your kids that life revolves around them. Teach them that life revolves around Jesus. That's the point here. Discipleship is your primary goal, and your primary goal in discipleship is to show them Jesus Christ. Obviously, we know that salvation comes from the Lord. He is ultimately responsible for the salvation of our children. But don't miss, parents, the primary responsibility and privilege that God has placed these children in our lives that they might hear, see, and one day we pray by His grace, believe in Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to be a discipler in your home and of your kids. It, it, it means this, first of all, that you as a parent, listen, are primarily an evangelist. You say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't matter if you're a spiritual gift. It's what God has called you to if he's given you these precious lives. Now, many parents think that evangelism means to tell their children that Jesus wants to be their friend. And I just want to encourage you that in our evangelism of our kids, we need to make sure that we do not water down the gospel. We need to be age appropriate. We need to explain things at a level where they can understand them. You know, put the cookies on the lower shelf. You don't go in there talking about regeneration and sanctification and, Daddy, I'm three. I need to go to bed now. We need to make sure we talk about things in an appropriate way. But I just want to encourage you, we have to talk about the key components of the gospel. We have to show them who God is. We have to tell them about our Lord. We have to let them know that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Now, parents, I want to, I want to relieve a burden, though. As weighty as this is, I want, to, I want to help you in this by lifting this burden and just reinforce this again. Your job is not to make your children Christians. Your job is not to make anybody a Christian. That's God's job. God is the one who saves sinners. God is the one who opens their eyes. God is the one who allows the truth to sink into their heart. Parents oftentimes can be guilty of pushing their kids to pray the sinner's prayer or ask Jesus into their heart. And by the way, both of those are, are in some senses, a very foreign to the Bible. The Bible doesn't call, call us to ask Jesus into our heart or to just simply sign on a dotted line. In fact, if you look at the history of the church, both of those things have led to a, a very poor understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They lead to a superficial understanding of the commitment required when it, when it comes to Jesus Christ. How many of us know people who grew up in the church who at a very early age prayed a prayer or walked an aisle 
who walked away from the church, how many are still holding on to the hope, even though their kids look nothing like Jesus and they haven't for 20 years, how many are holding on to the hope that their children are saved because one day when they were five or six, they prayed a prayer? I mean, how many, how many parents are guilty of pushing their children to say a prayer and affirm a false sense of assurance without ever seeing the marks of a true follower of Jesus Christ in their kids? Now, the good news is that God can and does save children at a young age. And maybe some of you, I get asked this question all the time, what if my children make a profession of faith at a young age? What do I do then? First, I just want to encourage, praise God. That means that you're doing something right. You're, push, you're putting Jesus before them. But I want to encourage you in this and help you. This is a really challenging thing, and I just want to acknowledge right out the gates that the Bible doesn't give us a, a clear pattern for how to do this. I think this is just a, simply a wisdom issue, so I want you to take it as that. I'm not telling you exactly how it should be done. I just want to encourage you with maybe even some of the things we've done. I know both of my kids, my two older kids, have both made professions of faith. But, but I just, we, we have been really resolved to help them think through what that means and to make sure they understand and can repeat not only the basic components of the gospel, one of the things we really want to encourage our kids to do is, is, is to really look at the changes taking place in their heart. And we want to push them to, to say, hey, that's great that you've made a profession of faith, and we're, we're celebrating, we're thanking God, but, but here's what that means. That means then that there's going to be some changes, that God is going to begin to work in you. And as a parent, one of the things that we step back and we try to do is help our kids see if there is genuine fruit of salvation. And where there isn't, we want them to see that, and we want to ask those questions about what this might mean for their life. It's a great thing when your children at a young age, uh, even when they've made a profession of faith, begin to talk about their own sin regularly, begin to experience deeper conviction over the things they've done wrong. When you begin to see them praying without being pushed to pray by themselves, when they begin to open up the Bible and desire to read the Bible, we are looking with our kids for this internal change that's taking place. And so I just want to encourage you, don't squash them, don't squash their excitement and desire, but maybe also be a little bit hesitant to run too quickly to affirming their salvation. Just because they wrote in their Bible the day they're saved does not mean they won't stand before the Lord one day and hear the words, Lord, Lord, or say the words, excuse me, Lord, Lord, and hear the words, I never knew you. We want to shepherd our kids to understand what that change should look like. And I want to just show you as parents what it means to disciple our kids. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, uh, I understand that a lot of this, you know, here's what's interesting, I think. I know that this verse, many of you could recite right now. You could just say the words verbatim on the page. And a lot of the things I'm saying, you're, you're agreeing and you're saying, yes, well, I affirm that. I know this to be true. I believe this to be true. But listen, I just want to ask you, is it really happening in your life? Isn't that always the issue with Christianity? We can know all the truth we want, but the issue is this. Are we living the truth? That's what it means to be a true disciple, not just somebody who knows all of the theology, who knows the right biblical passage to turn to, but it's someone who has allowed that knowledge to change the way they live. And so as we walk through this briefly here, I just want to encourage you to ask that question. Is what I know here, the truth of what I know, actually taking place in my life? Deuteronomy 6 
6 through 7, again, a really famous passage. Just look at it with me. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This was the common principle in the family that the entire family was to be fixated and focused upon the Lord God, upon His Word, upon His law. And you see the the primary responsibility there of the, the father in the home to take God's Word and to show them and to teach his kids. And I want you to see just four things in here that we can draw out. What should I be teaching my kids, maybe you're asking? Here you go. Um, Teach them the history of God. Teach them the history of God. Open up the Word of God and go through it with them. Parents, you need to be reading God's Word with your children, but I I don't want to encourage you just to simply read it and shut it. I want you to bring your kids into the Word of God. I want them to see that this is your story, and this can be their story. This is the story of their God and Creator. Every story of the Bible has meaning and purpose and value for your life, and you should show your kids that this is true. Teach your kids the history of God's Word. you got to be in God's Word with your children. You have to rehearse God's Word with your children. Secondly, teach them the holiness of God. And if you don't have kids and you just need to hear what you need to be focusing on in your own life, Teach your kids the character of God. Teach them who he is. Teach them that there is none like him. Teach them that he is mighty and that he is wonderful, that he is awesome. Teach your kids that he dwells in unapproachable light. Teach your kids that they ought to be humble and contrite before him. Teach them all that God is in his perfect, beautiful, majestic holiness. Show them such a magnificent picture of God so that they see very quickly who they are in light of Him, that they see that they are deeply flawed, that they are sinners, that they are in need of a Savior. Show them that there is a separation between God and them. And then teach them the hope of God. Teach them that there is salvation only in the name of Jesus Christ. Teach them the beauty of the cross, that though mankind was far from God and alienated because of sin, God in his wonderful grace came for us. Teach them that there can be forgiveness. Teach them that they can't earn their salvation. Teach them that there is only, only one way, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Teach them about reconciliation with God. Teach them about the new birth and the new life that they can have because of Jesus Christ. Fourth, teach them the help of God. Teach them that, again, this is not something that they can simply manufacture. This is not something that they can produce on their own. This is something that only God can do. Teach them that God must be their fortress, their rock, their shelter. You know, one of the greatest problems in our culture is this self-esteem culture that we have, and it's created in all kinds of ways and reinforced in all kinds of ways in the world that we simply need to pump our kids up full of self-esteem and we need more self-esteem. Listen, your children do not need greater self-esteem and neither do you. 
The human problem is not that we love ourselves too little but too much. The human problem is not that we trust ourselves too little, but we trust ourselves too much. Self-esteem is the world's way of saying, I don't need God. I can be good enough by myself. I can be strong enough. Teach your kids, parents, that they desperately need the help of God to grow them and to change them. Teach them to form godly habits, but teach them to rely upon the power of the Spirit of God. The implication of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that this is to be happening with clear, a patient instruction, that it is to be thorough and persistent. Notice the language, when you, I mean, in the picture there is all the time. Discipleship should be happening in both formal ways and informal, both planned and unplanned. This is about viewing all of life as a classroom. Parents, when you're watching movies, when you're playing games with your kids, when you're working in the yard, God has given you a platform to show them the beauty of all that he is. God has given you live, visible illustrations to use right then, right there. I mean, it's not uncommon for us when we're watching a movie as a family to come across something that's very worldly, maybe something with self-esteem or, or how you should think about yourself or the way that uh, women or men are being portrayed and for us to pause a movie, mid-movie, and just say, hey kids, let's just, we need to talk about this for a second. These are prime opportunities for helping shape our kids. When you're washing the dishes, when you're leaving for work, when you're coming home from work, what we do with our leisure time and how we spend our money, these are formative instruction moments in the lives of our kids. And parents, we need to see all of these prime opportunities that God has given us. The world is our classroom. They're learning whether we like it or not. And by the way, sheltering our kids is not the answer. Shepherding them is. Shepherding them with greater intentionality. Parents, our home is a classroom. And God calls us to instruct our children about what we believe and how to think and how to live from the scriptures. That there is no time for lazy parenting. And if that is a problem you suffer with, then listen, today is the day where you need to get on your knees before God and confess that and repent, not only to God, but to your wife and maybe to your kids. There's no time for lazy parenting. Turn off the TV. Put the phones down. Stop working for a second. Be with your kids and really be with them. Parents, I, I want to give you something practical to do. You're like, how can I, like, what do I need to do differently? Well, here, start with this. Go home today, and if your kids are of an age where they can speak intelligently to you in any way, ask them this question. What do you think is most important to mommy or daddy? Ask them that. You will be shocked by what you hear. Your kids are watching you. They see what you do all the time. They see how you speak. They see what you watch on TV. They see how much you're on your phone. They see it all. It's a great, it's a great sounding board. And listen, just humbly, humbly ask the Lord to allow them to have the insight into your life and to speak it clearly so that you would receive it. Parents, I want to encourage you to be strategic and intentional. Schedule it if you need to. Read the Word, pray with your kids, memorize Scripture. I was 
Now, I can't tell you how many, how many times I see parents who are so focused on a lot of things for their kids, you know what, sports or programs and all kinds of things that they're running around to, but they don't have time to spend with their kids to talk to them about things of the Lord. They're always out doing something, but they're never doing the main thing. It might be time this morning to readjust your priorities as a parent. Maybe in God's grace, you're still young in this, and, and there's still lots of time to work with your kids. Maybe you're looking back and going, man, I've wasted so much time, and you just need to be reminded of God's grace and that God can use, yes, even your failures to bring glory and honor to his name. Parents, I want to encourage you, dropping your kids off on Sunday and coming to church once on Sunday is not the barometer of your spiritual life and is not going to be enough for shaping the lives of your kids. If you are dependent this morning on the Harvest Kids, which by the way is fantastic, if you're dependent upon that alone to help guide and lead your kids, I just want to tell you, you're missing the mark. That is not enough, and it never will be. Uh, we, we view the children's ministry as supplemental to what your primary role is as the disciples of your children. Right? We want to come alongside you and your children. We want to encourage and support you. We want to teach them things. We want them to learn in church as they should. But we do not want to give you the impression that you are not the primary disciples of your kids, because you are. We would never want to take that away from you. In an effort to help you, we're very, I hope you see this, we're very intentional in our children's ministry, and we want to put the, the Lord Jesus before the kids always. We want to teach them the Word of God, and this next coming year, we're, we're revamping our curriculum. It's been upgraded, and one of the things I wanted to tell you about, I'm, I'm really excited about this, is there is a, a new tool we're going to be using. It's called Generations of Grace, Teaching God's Word to the Next Generation. This is a book, a, a devotional book, that follows along with the lesson every week that you as a parent can pick up and purchase, and every week you'll be able to go back home with your kids, and there's a devotional in there for every single day of the week that relates to what they just learned in class. And I just, I just want to encourage you, this, this is well worth the money, I think it's maybe $15, where's Brian, he's somewhere... $15. If you can't afford it, just come and talk to us. We'll make sure you get a copy of this. This is something like this is so important for you. If, if you're struggling with how do I do this? Where do I start? I mean, is there any resources I could use? Yes, get your hands on something like this. And then get into the Word of God with your kids. If your, parent, if your kids are getting older, listen, you need to be intentional about taking them out and talking to them about what they're experiencing and thinking through and going through in life, where their struggles are. We have so many, uh, we got a handful of really good resources at the table out there. I'd encourage you to stop by and take a look at those today. Parents, that first principle is critical. Your primary goal is discipleship. Secondly, your greatest opportunity is discipline. Your greatest opportunity is discipline. And that, that sounds strange to say it like that, doesn't it? And discipline here in Ephesians chapter 6 is the idea of corrective discipline. Corrective discipline is, is not the same thing as formative instruction. They are definitely related, but we can parse those two. And, and this is true in the Christian life. Look, corrective discipline is not the same thing as formative instruction in your life and mine. Corrective discipline builds off of formative instruction, Intentional discipling lays the groundwork for effective discipline. 
Corrective disciplining is reaching back with your kids to what you've already taught them, to what they know to be true, to what has been clearly laid out. You're bringing them back there and you're saying, hey, remember what we've said. Remember what we've talked about. And and look how you've gone astray. You stepped off the course. And so parents, if you, if you are heavy on corrective discipline and light on the formative instruction, I'm just going to tell you, your kids are going to grow to resent the word of God and resent you in the way you instruct them. You need to be far heavier on the formative instruction of your kids. You need to take that so seriously in your life, in your home. And by the way, it will cost you. It will cost you greatly. You're going to have to give up some things, parents. If you're going to really want to spend this kind of quality time and the quantity of time necessary with your kids, it's going to cost you immensely. But I can promise you this, you will not regret it. You can't get those moments back. You can't get that time back. Now is the time to make the commitment. Here, again, this this, uh, discipline is, again, qualified by that of the Lord. This is not worldly discipline. This is biblical discipline, and it should be informed by the Scriptures. And I want to get you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is a foundational passage when it comes to understanding discipline in the Christian life. And the author of Hebrews relates that discipline specifically to the disciplining of our own kids. Verse 5 says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. That's a direct quote from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. And He goes on to explain this, to exposit this passage from Proverbs in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents, I want you to see primarily from this text that disciplining our kids is one of the greatest opportunities we have in shaping their hearts and minds. And I don't say that lightly because I'm like every other parent in here. I I do not enjoy disciplining my kids, right? It's painful. I have had to do it with tears in my eyes before. I mean, this this past week, I'm sitting down with my daughter and we just had a tough day. We had a really, really, I'm not going to lie, really challenging day, and, and just the disobedience was just off the chart, and, and we're, you know, we're, we're disciplining in different ways, we're taking things away, we're sending to her, like, you name it, we're doing it, and it's just a hard, hard day, and she's struggling so much to do what's right, and I, I look at her in the eyes as we're sitting down, I said, honey, I said, I said, I hate disciplining you, you need to know, I don't enjoy this one bit, and she's looking at me, and there's, you know, there's still anger in her heart. 
It's like, I don't, I don't do this because I want to. I do this because I love you. And she looks at me and just, you know, still just this, she looks at me and this is hard. And as a father, you're like, oh, and she says, dad, can, can you just explain that to me? Like, if you love me, you're going to discipline me. I don't understand it. I don't get it, dad. And I'm like, actually, that, that's, that's, a, that's such a great question, sweetheart. And we sat down and I opened up to this Bible verse here, this text here, and I walked her through the way that God deals with us and that God loves us so much that he needs to discipline us and, and this is for our good. And this is, this is, I said, honey, I love you and this discipline is to prevent you from making more and more mistakes, right? I mean, here, you're, you're in the safety of our home. You're making mistakes. You're living sometimes in rebellion and there are consequences to that. But out there, when you step out into the real world, you need to see that there are consequences for our actions, And it was really sweet at the end. You know, I said, do you understand? He said, yeah, I think so. I don't like it, but I still understand. God disciplines every child whom he loves. And, and, and here, it actually says this. If you're not experiencing the discipline of the Lord when you're living in sin, listen, it says that you may actually be an illegitimate child. In other words, you may think you're a child of God, but because God disciplines all his children, the ones that he loves, if you're not experiencing that, what's the implication? You're not actually his child. You're not one of his. And God's love, he does it for our good, that we might share in his holiness. And yes, it's painful in the moment rather than pleasant. Right? My daughter's like, amen. But later, later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I love that. To those who have been, listen, trained by it. Parents, disciplining your children is an act of love that shows them, listen, how much you care about them. If you're not disciplining your children, you're not loving your children. Discipline teaches our kids that we love them. It teaches our kids that they are not in control. And please understand how important this is, right? The human problem is our rebellion against God. The human problem is that we want to be in control. The human problem is this. We shake our fist at God. And God is teaching through his discipline of us. Hey, 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 you need to know your role and you're not in charge here and you need to submit to the rightful authority in your life. And ultimately that's pointing us to the reality that he is our rightful authority and children need to see, they need to see that they are called to submit to God and the first way they understand that is by submitting to the authority of their parents, the God-given authority. So parents, you need to hear this very clearly. Part of the purpose in your disciplining is to break the will of your child. Some of us didn't have that growing up and we suffered for it. We rebelled in incredible ways. But listen, and I know it sounds really harsh to say and the world would say, oh, that's abusive. It's not, it's not. It is healthy to break the will of your child at an early stage and to show them you are not the one in charge. And if you continue to live like you are, it will lead you to a very bad, destructive, dangerous place. You see how loving that is to tell your child? That's why parents, listen, you need to be consistent. 
You need to be consistent. You need to stay on it. And this is one of the most challenging things in parenting. How many times as a parent are you sitting there wanting to throw the towel in? I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I I can just tell you, I have had marathon bouts with my children in disciplining them where I'm trying to be consistent and I'm trying to break their will and they just will. 45 minutes is going, it's just going on and I got some really stubborn kids. I don't know who they get it after. It's weird. (laughs) My mom used to say that I was persistence personified. You know those prayers, your parent, if you're a parent, you say this, I, I hope you have one like you. Oh man, I'm starting to have more empathy and I apologize to my parents profusely now, don't worry. So. You gotta be consistent. You can't give in, right? You, you give them an inch, they're gonna take a mile. Especially, especially parents with young kids, you gotta get on it quickly. You have to teach your kids that they're going to reap what they sow. You have to teach them that there are consequences, listen, both negative and positive. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, it begins with reminding us of the commandment that if you obey your parents, it will actually go well for you. I love the concept of rewards in parenting. I want my kids to know, if you obey, there is blessings in store. It will go well for you. And that's, listen, that is modeling obedience after God's modeling of obedience. There are rewards for us Christians, right, in the Christian life. As we pursue God faithfully in the Christian life, God places before us rewards. And he says, look, there are going to be rewards for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. But there are massive consequences for disobedience. When we say don't, that's just like as God says don't, he says don't hurt yourself, right? If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. But if you choose obedience, you're choosing blessings. The Bible calls us to understand the importance of discipline. Proverbs, by the way, is a handbook for parenting. Did you know that? The Proverbs is written from the vantage point of a father speaking to his son and wanting to instruct him and train him up. But just listen to, I'm just going to hit these really fast. Listen to what these verses say about discipline. Proverbs is full of them. Listen, Proverbs 5.23, he dies for lack of discipline, speaking of the son, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Proverbs 6.23, for the commandment is a lamp and a teaching and a light and the reproof of discipline are the way of life. Listen to that, parents. Discipline actually leads to the life of your kids, to the fullness of enjoyment of life instead of the pain and destruction of our sinful choices. Listen to Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves, Christians, just embrace this in your life. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Don't read that verse to your kids. It gives them all the liberty in the world to run around calling things stupid. It's in the Bible. Get around that. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent. There's the persistence. There's the the constancy. He is, listen, diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 15, 10. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. I mean, there's a scary verse if you ever read it, right? <laughs> How about this one? Let's end on this. Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That last proverb is, listen, a helpful reminder that true biblical discipline is not simply about behavior modification, but genuine heart transformation. 
We like to say to our kids, um, you probably heard this, we didn't come up with this, but obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. That's what we're trying to teach our kids. Obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And, and by the way, we, if you walked up to my kids and say, just, just say, I, don't test this out with them. Of course, they're not going to do it when you, when you do it. You know, d- delayed obedience is, my kids will tell you, disobedience. So why, that sounds really strict. Listen, that's the way it is with God. When God calls us to obey, he calls us to obey right away, doesn't he? Do you see what we're teaching our kids here? When God says obey, he says, don't take your time with it. Don't drag your feet. Do it because it's right. Do it because I said it's right. Yes, there's opportunities to ask questions, to get clarification. We always invite that with our kids if they truly don't understand. But we, we do not put up with defiant disobedience and slacking and dragging their feet all the way, do it, do the full thing, and do it with a happy heart. Now, we can't control our, 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 our kids' hearts, right? But what we can do is tell them that and show them that the kind of obedience that God requires of us is not this begrudging form of just duty-bound, I'll do it because I'm supposed to, uh, uh, you know, the stomp in the feet, fine, I'll do it. No way. No way. That is not, God is not happy with that kind of obedience from us, right? God God is looking at our heart. By the way, the rod, we kind of read that idea of the rod, sparing the rod. And people often ask me, is spanking biblical? And and here's my definitive answer on that. Yes, it is. The rod here is a reference to physical discipline. Now listen, it means nothing less than that, but it can mean more. The rod here, yes, it is speaking of physical discipline, but it can be brought into other forms of discipline, for sure. For sure it can. And we understand that even with, with any form of you know, physical discipline, spanking, first of all, there's a difference between physical discipline and abuse, and we do not, do not stand for abuse. But what we do see in Scripture is that I think, especially age-appropriately, a physical discipline is actually commended, commended to parents. Obviously, the, the punishment should always fit the crime as you're parenting, and that can be a challenge sometimes, and there's a lot of wisdom needed here, parents. I get this. This is hard, hard work. Parenting is, can I get an amen? Is parenting hard or what? Like, this is hard. It's like only almost as hard as marriage, right? It's, it's so hard, and we need so much wisdom from God. If we're going to parent biblically, we, we must understand the heart. I want you to see this. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. The issue that we need to wrestle through in our day and age is this issue of behavior modification. The worldly perspective focuses on behavior modification. You just change the way your child is acting and behaving. And certainly at a young age, we are instructing them, we're giving them habits and behavioral habits that are good and healthy and right. But while this is important, without focusing on the heart, it is actually dangerous and spiritually disastrous. Dealing with behavior is only is like dealing with the weed problem in your backyard by mowing the lawn, okay? doesn't actually do anything. They just keep growing back. The Bible teaches that the heart is the control center of life. Your life is ultimately a reflection of your heart, right? Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Everything you do flows forth from the heart. 
The heart determines behavior. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. Mark 7.21 gives all kinds of behaviors that flow from the heart internally, it says. So that means that behavior is not the basic issue in your life or your child's life. What's going on in the heart is. Fixing a child's Behavior without digging into their heart is not commendable, it's condemnable. That's what Ted Tripp says. I love that. Let me say that again. Fixing a child's behavior without digging into their heart is not commendable, it's condemnable. I want you to think about this biblically, right? right? We saw Jesus rebuking the Pharisees all the time, all the time for this kind of thing. They polished the outside of the cup without dealing with the inside of the cup, Right? They honored, Jesus said, him, God, with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And I want to just suggest to you, and I I see this even in my own life, this is what many of us do with our kids. We simply try and change their behavior. Paul Tripp gives this illustration of, of stapling apples onto a tree. Does that make it an apple tree? No, it doesn't, not at all. And yet this is what we do with our lives oftentimes and with our kids, right? We turn them, sadly, listen, sometimes we turn them into little Pharisees. Say, give me an example. All right. Here's here's what we often do. Here's how we can turn our kids into little Pharisees. Um, How many of you parents, you don't have to raise your hand, because I I know the answer is all of you. How many of you have done this just like me? Um, Your kids are fighting and one of them takes a toy from another kid or, or hits another kid and the one's crying and you grab your kid and you're saying, Go say your story. You ever done that? Just think about that for a minute. Just go say your story. Just go through the motions. Just say the thing you're supposed to say. Like we teach our kids in those moments what it means to fake repent, right? And then we wonder why they don't change as they're growing up. We simply tell them to change their behavior without digging into their heart. And when it comes to corrective discipline, We must approach it a different way. What must we do? We must require proper behavior. Listen, God's law demands that, but we can't stop there. As parents, we need to address not just the behavior of our children, but also the attitudes of their hearts. Not just what, the what of their sin and their failure, but the why, that internal why they did what they did. Your goal must never simply to have well-behaved children. They must be able to understand why they sin and how to recognize the internal change. As a Christian, you need to understand these things in your own life if you are actually going to change and grow. So we need to help our children ask questions that will expose heart motives and attitudes so when your child hits another child, you don't just say, stop hitting. I mean, yeah, you need to stop them if they're still going. It's stop hitting. What you need to do is pull them aside and have a conversation with you and say, hey, why were you hitting that person? Well, he had my toy. Okay, how did that make you feel? Angry. Why were you angry? Because that's my toy, right? Do you see how really quickly you get to the selfish motives of the heart? What did you feel? If you had that toy, what was I going to do for you? I would be happy. So you think having that toy to make you happy at the expense of other people, do you see where you can go with this? Think about how this changes the way you discipline your kids. This is why discipline is one of your greatest opportunities, parents, because you are unmasking your child's sin and showing them how their heart really functions and how to 
see true change occur. Better yet, parents, you are constantly able to show them their need for a Savior and daily need for grace and help on the road to holiness. Lastly, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Again, this is true for both parents, but let me just address men again for a moment. You are not just to be the primary uh, discipler in your home. I believe, according to Scripture, you are to be the primary disciplinarian in your home. And your wives, men, are going to be disciplining your kids all week long and all day long while you're not there if your wives are at home with the kids. And I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge all of the fathers in here, when you are around, you do the disciplining of your kids. Uh, I understand, maybe not the little things, I get, you know, just a little stop that, taking away. You're not addressing the heart every single time they do something wrong, but you're trying to get after the heart. But when you're around, I can tell you just, I believe, I believe the passivity of men, when they're in their homes, and I've seen this on, on countless occasions, and I've been guilty of this too, and their kids are throwing a fit or acting up or hitting other kids, and the husband sits back and does nothing while the wife does all of the disciplining. Can I just tell you this? Disciplining your kids is a, listen, it's a great opportunity, but it is a great and weighty burden, isn't it? It is hard. If you're going to do it right, it takes time and effort and energy and men. I want to encourage you to step up and be men in your homes. You be the ones who take your kids, take them off of your wife's hands, give her a break, serve her like this. And and can I just, like, the passage here in Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that it was our fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Like, you need to hear the biblical admonition for husbands to step up and lead and serve and teach your kids something. Teach your kids that you are involved in their shaping and in the discipline process. Teach them what the father looks like. Don't burden your wife, men. Listen, if you're doing this, I say this in love and I say this in grace, step up. Take that burden on yourself. God is calling you to this. Serve your wife like this. You're the leader. Show them that parallel between God the Father and and you're modeling that in the home. Is it enough just to say, parents, don't provoke your kids? (laughs) Because we are out of time. There are many ways we provoke our kids, and perhaps we'll talk about some of those next week. I want to turn our attention. I know there's been some hard things, some challenging things, but I trust some encouraging things this morning as we think about the role of disciples. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said, let the little children come. In our discipling and in our disciplining, we are taking our children to Jesus we want them to see that He is so beautiful. We want them to see that He is so loving, so gentle, so gracious, so merciful. We want them to see that Jesus is forgiving and kind and that He welcomes them with open arms as they come to Him. We want them to see Jesus is worthy of them surrendering their lives. We're leading them to the throne of grace. We're teaching them that God our Father is constantly doing that for us, constantly giving us grace, constantly giving us mercy. Parents, children, Christians, listen, we are constantly in need of God's grace. We need grace in our failures as parents. We need grace in our failures as children. We need grace in our rebellion against God. We need grace in our daily pursuit of Christ. And we are to strive to show our kids Jesus. We ourselves constantly need to set our eyes upon Jesus and to be captivated by Him. I I want my kids 
I want my kids to see me genuinely with everything I have pursue Jesus Christ. I want my kids to see me love Jesus more than anything in this world. I want your kids to see the same thing.